We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No, no, no. You're still alive. No. Fucking piece of shit. Die. Don't die. Look at me. Look at my fucking eyes. Die. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches. Hello and welcome to another edition of Final Review. We remain in the 1990s, in fact, the beginning of the 1990s. With Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, the classic that has only gotten better with time, we will decide just how great it actually is in what is guaranteed to be one of the more agreeable episodes here on Final Review. My name is Andrew Claudio, and joining me to break it all down, the one and only Bernard Ozrowski. Oz, just how long have you always wanted to be a gangster? Oh boy, ever since I was a little boy growing up, when I saw the folks across the street, uh, I knew that this was the life for me. But uh, holy shit, I love this movie. I'm sure you do. Let's not even fucking hide it. This movie is awesome. (laughs) I have to start there. Now go get your fucking shine box. (laughs) Oh my God, the quotes from this movie. So I figure we start here. I trust the intelligence of our listeners. You guys have picked up on the types of movies we're doing in the beginning. We've picked... Some of the more iconic directors of the last 25, 30, 40 years. And we're doing what is largely considered their masterpiece. And not to spoil the rest of this episode, but for Martin Scorsese and Goodfellas, I almost wonder if this movie transcends even our game, our our format here. Because we only do 10 categories. And Goodfellas has come up in the past. We've It came up in top five best picture snubs and we're not doing that category today it was mentioned during biopics because goodfellas is a biopic we're not doing that today and yet looking at the 10 categories we did decide to do i don't think it would have affected our scores at all because this movie's greatness exceeds just 10 different areas where it 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 is considered great and i i I've got to be honest. I, I knew I would have this score, my score being very high. 
I did not think it would be this high, and this is going to be a very celebratory episode, I imagine. Before we get into all of it, though, we have to start here because this may become the opening tradition of this podcast. You mentioned last week when you first saw the movie Pulp Fiction, you were nine years old and in a theater, Oz. So I now ask, did four years earlier you also see Goodfellas in a theater? I, I, alas, did not see Goodfellas okay, in good. a theater at five. I, I, you know, I think my first experience must have been on a TNT, um, you know, just afternoon movie viewing. And I know that I then followed up by watching the two VHS uh, VHS version of this that existed uh, that my dad had. I know I, I distinctly recall watching it in full that way for the first time. So I have two kind of personal introductions to this movie and they happened when I was an adult. The first one, when I was a sophomore in college, you know the the scene when they're going through the bamboo lounge and Henry is introducing some of the other guys in the crew, um, mm-hmm. like Frankie Carbone, Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy, Freddie No Nos, the uh, the Jimmy Two Times, the guy that repeats everything twice. So one of the guys in that that lineup is Mike Franchesi. And when I was a sophomore at Liberty. Uh, Mike Francesi apparently has converted to religion since his time in (laughs) this mafia family. He spoke at the school and I don't really remember a single like philosophical thing he said, but just that he's one of the characters featured in Goodfellas. And that inspired me. I I was living off campus at the time. It was like, yeah, sure. okay. I've never seen the movie. I will check it out tonight. And I, I remember enjoying it then. But then the other introduction to this movie happened in 2019 when The Irishman was coming out later in the year. And I decided, because I never actually fully understood the hype around Scorsese. There were movies of his that I liked, but there was clearly an importance to him that a lot of people in the industry, like yourself, were applying. And so I decided to do a Scorsese binge and go from his earliest movie that he uh, that he obviously directed, and I did skip all the documentaries, unfortunately, which may go, I may go back and do one day. But I went in chronological order, like from Mean Streets to Silence, and did a Scorsese binge for about three months, leading up to seeing The Irishman in a theater. And when you go through his eighties, you know, like obviously Raging Bull kicks off the decade, but while I like King of Comedy and parts of Last Temptation of Christ and parts of Hour After Hours and, you know, The Color of Money can be fun, there is an energy when he gets to Goodfellas that I picked up on and then kind of stays with him through the rest of his career, leading to Casino, leading to The Departed, then eventually leading to Wolf and, and The Irishman that like this is what you were meant to do this type of story is your sweet spot it's like like he was a an outfielder playing the infield for parts of his career and then all of a sudden he's back in the outfield and he's a gold glover and it's like yeah this is where you were supposed to be this entire time and my god what a what a job this is uh you know a little bit more of the history of of this movie and and how it got made. This this saved his career after a pretty rough decade in the eighties. Well, I, I mean, Marty's been pretty open in interviews and 
books and things of that nature that he um, had some struggles with substances uh, in the 70s into the 80s. And I think the 80s was really a, a period of sort of finding himself and, and getting himself together. Uh, and it kind of allowed him to come roaring back in the 90s with Goodfellas. Now, I, I don't think his 80s output is is bad. I just don't think it's very commercial or populist. I'll say that like Kundun doesn't work for me the way that um, I, I, I don't know, silence does to take a modern example, but there's stuff in there like the King of Comedy, which is really good and really dark in the 80s. It's just not the same sort of populist fun that you get from Goodfellas. It's just not it doesn't have the joy to it. I mean, Last Temptation of Christ, there's just a lot of sort of dark, uh, heavy heavy projects that he grapples with through the eighties. And I think everyone sort of enjoys fun Marty a little more than uh dour, serious <laughs> Marty, but he's masterful in either gear. So Goodfellas qualifies for our show today by hitting two of the three final review checkpoints. It's a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 103 reviews. Its audience score is a 97% on 250,000 plus. At the Academy Awards, it was nominated six times, including one win for Joe Pesci in Best Supporting Actor. Its other, no its other nominations are Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actress for Lorraine Bracco, uh, editing and then adapted screenplay it is adapted by nick from nicholas pelleggi's book called wise guy about henry hill a mafia associate turned informant and then at the box office it only made 46.8 million dollars oz why do you think this didn't hit at the box office in 1990 well i i, I think it it actually did it's just a question of inflation and the way say that we in 1990 we, though it didn't yeah for, for well 46 million dollars in 1990 terms is is i'm gonna guess without looking at the actual numbers here probably about 85 to 90 million in current terms when you adjust for inflation and ticket prices so it's not a it's not a flop it's not uh it's not a total dud or anything along those lines uh but it, you know it's not a it's not a strong performance for a relatively large budget film like this with talent attached to it like this look it, it it at the time was controversial for and we touched on this with pulp fiction last week it's a super super violent dark heavy movie uh marty had quite a few enemies on the conservative right after the last temptation of christ which i think was the movie right before this um and as a result it, it you know it it was sort of a cultural pressure point, I guess. There's a lot of that sort of protesting. I saw Benedetta last night at the New York Film Festival, and there's been stories because there are people protesting. It's the sexy lesbian nuns movie from the guy who made Starship Troopers and Robocop. And even still today, we have people protesting the that sort of movie and that sort of uh, conservative view of the world was far more apparent and far more influential on hurting a movie like this in 1990 than it would be today. But I, I think that the culture wars element really does play a factor in what holds back the box office of this. And it, it is really violent. It is really profane. And the content is pretty extreme. Real quick, to your point, I'm going to adjust that this movie hits in all three categories because 46.8 million at the box office in 1990 adjusted for inflation is 101.5 million so this movie hits in all three checkpoints however 
this finished 34th at the box office. Like it's going to save it for 1990. That's the movies that were top 10, but this movie finished behind the little mermaid and Rocky five and gremlins two and steel magnolias and other movies that barely cracked 50 million. Now you want to nitpick and be like more people went to movies back then. Fine. Um, I thought you were going to go a different route with why this didn't hit at the box office. And it's that Godfather Port 3 came out this year. And everybody thought that's the movie we're going to go see in order to get our mafia fix. You know, have you seen the new version? Uh, that's the, the Coda, right? That That's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. But many a cinephile like yourself has sworn that, that this new release fixes it. Is that real? It is. It, it, it's funny, too, because there's not much time change. There are just little subtle tweaks to the editing. There are little places where, you know, they, they cut an extra 10 seconds of Sofia Coppola here and there that actually make a pretty substantial difference and make the performance a lot more tolerable. I, I, I'm not saying it's masterful, but it is. It's definitely better in the new version. But uh, I don't really know where I'm going talking about this other mob <laughs> movie, which isn't as good. Is there a Coda but, uh, version of Goodfellas that you'd like to see? No, this one is perfect. This very movie wonderful. is perfect. Yeah, it's that's great. what I thought too. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you motherfucker. I almost had him. I almost had him. Uh, so you ready to do the final review of Goodfellas? Hell yes. So the 10 categories we're going through today. Martin Scorsese films. Robert De Niro performances. Ray Liotta performances. Joe Pesci performances. Mob movies, uninterrupted, continuous shots. We're going to go through all the continuous shots in in movie history. I almost said NFL history. I've been watching a lot of football highlights because this show has taken away my ability to watch football on Sundays because I watch movies <laughs> now on Sundays. Also, I'm a Jets fan. I have no reason to watch football on Sundays anymore. Anyway, needle drop slash movie soundtracks, film narrations, 1990 film, and then we're back in the decade a 90s film is Goodfellas, a top five movie of the 90s. We start with The Masters. Goodfellas, a top five Martin Scorsese film. Now, we talked about this before the show. When you look at the variety of answers to the tweet we sent out from at Final Review Pod, what are your top five Scorsese films? You could probably get a solid 19, 20 different movies listed in the top three. But what I think this episode is going to show is the difference in tastes between you and I and, and just literally everybody else that talks about Scorsese. But where we'll all agree is on Goodfellas. That's the agreement that this really is his masterpiece. But the rest of his filmography just might hit different spots for you. And it's to the point for me, my six through ten could be anybody's top five and it'd be understandable I just, I wonder, Oz, does Scorsese have, I'm trying to think of the right word. I've honestly been thinking about it all day. Accomplished, full, does he have the most like dynamic filmography for a filmmaker? I'm actually going to say no. And I, I don't even think it's particularly close. 
because as wonderful as he is, he does play in a in a certain thematic framework in a great deal of his movies. I mean, the things that you think of, you think of Taxi Driver, you think of Goodfellas, you think of The Irishman, you think of Casino. These movies all are, all could practically be in a shared cinematic universe, much to Marty's disgust. Um, you, you have these sort of dark taxi driver and raging bull dissections of masculine anti-hero characters. Rarer are his jaunts outside of those kind of core dramas. You have the religious struggles and last temptation of Christ and silence, but then it's, it's far rarer that you see the sort of age of innocence um, and Hugo uh, where he goes and plays with more conventional Hollywood dramas and makes sort of more popular stuff. Even like the departed is, is very much of a, of a sort with Goodfellas. Um, so he, he's masterful and he's, been masterful when he's gone outside of his wheelhouse, but I think he does have a an area where he's most focused in in his interests, and that's the, the rise and fall of people, religion. There's just a lot of thematic hits that you see in your Scorsese movies. So I think what I meant by that wasn't necessarily range. Like this isn't Spielberg, where you got Jurassic Park coming out in the summer, and then four months later, Schindler's List comes out, and you're marveling that it's the same director. Like you know what you're getting when you go see a Martin Scorsese film. However, his he's got so many home runs that somebody's number one can be somebody else's number 13. Oh, and yeah. it's justified. You understand why this movie spoke to you more than somebody else and vice versa. Like there are a lot of A pluses on his report card. There's a movie that came out four or five years ago. I gave it a nine or a 10 the year it came out. It was in my top five. Didn't make my top 10. And I it might be on your list. So I won't say what it is, but yeah, this guy is this this guy is the home run king, I think, of movies as far as the the prestige side of things goes. And it's why easily through five episodes, this is the toughest question I think I've had to ask you. Oz, what are your top five Martin Scorsese films? So for me, I, I had two that were were just a cut above that for me. I, and I, I mean it. I, I think there are literally 18 movies that are at least a nine out of 10 for me. And it might even be more than that. I, I think Scorsese is the finest American director ever. Um, he's amazing. But for me, I, I have Raging Bull and Goodfellas as a cut above his other filmography. I think they both have a real case as the greatest American film ever made. I, I could flip these any day of the week. I do this, but for whatever reason, I came down with Raging Bull in first place and Goodfellas in second place. Third for me is Mean Streets, a movie which has had a sort of recent reevaluation and reengagement, and it's really great. And it's very fun in a lot of ways. Harvey Keitel is amazing. And it's uh, if you have not seen it, it's worth tracking down very much. My fourth one, I, I I was stunned that I picked this movie. I I didn't expect to until I was going back and spending time with Marty's filmography, and I I went with The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, in fourth place, which I really I I, I suspect you were talking about Silence a moment ago, and I, I was. I, I thought long and hard about Silence, and it's on my very long list of honorable mentions. Uh, but Wolf of Wall Street fourth, and I'm I'm I. I this is perhaps the only movie that I didn't see mentioned on responses. My fifth is Hugo because wow. Martin, Scors Martin Scorsese went out there and said, I'm going to make an elite 
family movie and he fucking did it. It is great. It is every bit as good as Spielberg's <laughs> uh, as Spielberg's play in this genre. You're having an aneurysm right now, and that's fine. Somebody out there is like this motherfucker. Uh, Hugo is great. If you haven't seen it, you should. If you have kids, they will love it. Also, I named my website after the something in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's really fucking good. I am floored and don't feel at all bad about my list anymore because... <laughs> It's not even that, like, how dare you put Hugo? It's that, and, and look, I, I hate to talk about our show like like it's a living thing, but it's why I admire the exercise. Like, this is where you get to see people's personal top fives, and they're different from your top fives, and that's okay, because not a thought came to my mind that, A, that Hugo would be mentioned today, <laughs> or B, that it would make your top five, because there are so many movies that were not mentioned, and okay. They, they can be. I can sit here and talk for 20 minutes oh, about the next other ones, but but yeah, I, I'm going with Hugo. It's amazing. No one has seen it. It's also the only movie, the only one ever in all of movies that justified the use of 3D that actually uses 3D to compose shots that otherwise would not work the same way in 2D. It's it's fantastic. He's just he's the best. And I think it's one of the best family adventure movies of all time. So what I'm going to do is list that six through ten now that I told you would be anybody else's top five, because my number ten is Main Street's. And for all the reasons you mentioned, I love that movie. Um, Casino is my number nine and was a little surprised that neither of us said it now because it's going to show up on two other lists potentially. And there's one that's definitely going to show up on my list for another category we do. Um, I revisited it yesterday. It is a long movie, which is it went from being on my list to closer to the bottom of the top 10. However, still very enjoyable. King of Comedy is my number eight. Taxi Driver, one of the movies that puts Scorsese on the map. And then, Oz, this will disappoint you, but Raging Bull is my number six, which I, again, this is personal. I mean, I, I, I'm the guy who picked Hugo over Taxi Driver, so I don't think I get to have an opinion anymore. But once you said that, it made me exhale. because like, okay, I can put Raging Bull out of the top five and it'll be okay. So with all that said, I do believe that Goodfellas is Scorsese's masterpiece. I think all of the things I love about Scorsese films, I love most in Goodfellas. However, I clearly prefer the pair of Scorsese and Leo to Scorsese and De Niro. And good God, when we eventually do a Leonardo DiCaprio movie, and I have to try and put these in a top five. My number two is The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, have mentioned it many times throughout this podcast. One of my favorite biopics, one of my favorite New York movies, one of my favorite Leo performances. Uh, it's my number two. My number three, I'm a sucker for a psychological thriller that makes me guess the ending, that makes me try to untangle the web. And then afterwards, when I've seen the movie, going and rewatching and picking up on all of the Easter eggs and the breadcrumbs that I missed is Shutter Island. Again, Leo. Shout out Mark Ruffalo as well. Really good in that movie. My number four is The Departed, um, Marty's Best Picture winner, Marty's Best Director winner, finally. Uh, the back and forth between Leo and Damon and the Boston of it all is, is really great. And then my number five, I mentioned the Scorsese binge I did, and seeing how cool he's made some of these characters and how 
much we may idolize like uh, Jordan Belfort or Henry Hill or some of these iconic characters without realizing the real point of the story is how all of these guys usually end is two true outcomes. You end up in jail, you end up um, dead. And like Henry ends up in witness protection, but like I feel like that falls under one of those umbrellas. And then the Irishman came out and the third outcome was presented that I had never seen, or at least never seen like really featured as so you could end up old and alone holding on to all of these ideals and waiting for somebody to walk through that door, whether it's the hitman to finally take you out because you're a wanted man and you, you've broken the code so many times or just a loved one coming to see you. And it's no, nobody's coming through that door. Stare as long as you want. You're alone. That is the outcome of the, the life you lived, the life that you fought for. Old by yourself with nothing to show for it is the outcome that this life led you to. And it's why the Irishman, I just, I had to put it on my list. And so it's my number five. Is there anything that we haven't said yet? Well, I would say this, the Irishman was just a fascinating way for someone to engage with and sort of serve a corrective on his filmmaking legacy. I, I would, I would just shout out the age of innocence is really, really good. Uh, wonderful Daniel Day Lewis work. I, I think it's fantastic movie. Uh, but really there, there's anything if you, I, I could do this tomorrow and taxi driver could be in third place. I mean, there's, there's just, there, it, it's a mood for how it hits you when you do these lists. And for Marty, the, the uh, amount of quality that's out there is, is insane. So uh, yeah, great. Just, just the greatest question. Is there a decade that Scorsese wouldn't have a movie in the top 10? Taxi Driver would make the top 10 of the 70s. Raging Bull would make the top 10 of the 80s. Goodfellas uh, would make the top 10 of the 90s. I'm trying to think of the 2000s. The, the 2000s, uh, for me, would not. I, he only has Gangs of New York, which is kind of a mess, but that's Harvey Weinstein's fault, not Marty's fault. Really, Actually, that's what we should be like. Release the Scorsese cut. There's like a uh, four and a half hour version of Gangs of New York that Marty was happy with, and then Harvey Weinstein chopped it to shit without without any of Marty's involvement. So release that. That would be good. The Aviator I like, but it it's not. would make a top 10. So it's just the 2000s and, probably. And, yeah, and Departed then. Oh, what am I talking about? The Departed would Departed make for a you. Top. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. What am I? Wow. Wolf of Wall Street. And so there's five decades where he would have a top 10 movie that he put out of like yeah. the 10,000 movies that get released a decade. Yeah. That's, 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 he's a, that's how good he is. Yeah, he's a master. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Johnny, are you, are you nuts? What are you getting excited for, Jimmy? What am I getting excited for? Are you stupid? We've got a million fucking bulls out there. Everybody's watching us and you get a fucking car. What are you telling me I'm excited? My mother's name. It's a wedding gift. Give a fuck whose name it's under. Are you stupid or what? Did you hear what I said? Don't buy anything. Don't get anything. Nothing big. Did you hear what I said? What's the matter with you? What are you getting excited for? What am I getting excited about? Because you're going to get us all fucking pinched. That's why. What are you, stupid? What's the matter with you? I apologize. What's the matter with you? Sorry. What the fuck is the matter with you? Next up, one of Marty's main muses is Goodfellas' a top five Robert De Niro performance. I will be stunned if you were able to do that thing you do where it's one director per category where like you only put one Martin Scorsese film on your list because it is impossible for me to do that. Were you able to? I, I gave up. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's not just it's it, it's it's no no disrespect to Pesci or De Niro or anything like that. It's that their work with Scorsese isn't isn't just the best of their career. It's the best ever. I just I really think that these are performances that stack up against anything in anybody's acting resume. So I I had to break my rule. I think it becomes impossible not to at a certain point. Like with De Niro, when I think of if his career, like yes, there's the Travis Bickles and and the Max Cadys and the, the dad and meet the parents, but like when I think of every impersonation of an intimidating Italian. That I've ever done in my life. It's make the De Niro face, say a Robert De Niro line, specifically like a Jimmy Conway line. Is his performances in this movie like the way you prefer your Robert De Niro? Well, uh, I like my Robert De Niro operating on a human scale because sometimes he has a tendency to go uh, over the top. I like when he is he is restrained in some ways. I, I would also say that surprisingly, he doesn't usually play. Italians. He's Irish and Goodfellas. That's very he's, true, Irish, yeah. he's Irish and the Irishman. He's he's Jewish and Once Upon a Time in America. He plays these like Italian stereotype characters while not actually being Italian. But uh, I, there there's such a diversity to his skill set and such an intensity to his performances that you know I, I I dunked on Christian Bale for you know the method stuff and everything else. De Niro is how that's done right. De Niro, oh, okay. All right. De Niro is when you operate on a scale tethered to humanity. De Niro is when you operate on a scale tethered to how an actual human being would respond. He's clearly internalizing his performances and not just mimicking or, you know, spouting off stuff. And look, Bale and that ilk, it, it's fun. It's captivating. People like to watch it. Uh, it's not great. De Niro is great. De Niro is is uh, peak. De Niro is is the finest, one of the finest actors I've ever seen. So this probably answers a question I had when I rewatched one of his movies this week. That I wondered if you were going to be consistent, and I think you've already hinted that you're going to be consistent. So I'll, I'll I'll say my list, and then we'll we'll talk about this movie potentially in honorable mentions. So your number one and number two for Scorsese are my number one and number two for. Um, Robert De Niro. So Raging Bull is my number one. Um, I think it's, in my opinion, the most impressive. I've seen him um, going back and looking at young, uh, younger De Niro and now seeing him today as like the, the, the guy in, in Dirty Grandpa is is kind of a shock that those two are the same character. Um, then 
Jimmy Conway in Goodfellas is my number two. My number three is also a Scorsese film. It's Taxi Driver. And watching that a month or two months before The Irishman and then a month before Joker, uh, I think is very important because it had fresh in my mind what Todd Phillips was trying to do. And whether he did or not is just entirely your interpretation. Um, So Taxi Driver is my number three. I finally divert from Scorsese at my number four, uh, Heat, the Michael Mann film with Pacino and De Niro against each other. Uh, that diner scene remains one of my favorite scenes to go back and watch on YouTube. And then my number five, I didn't want to just do another Scorsese film. So I came up with A Bronx Tale. And that is, I mean, I this is more of a cheat. I just, I don't want to put another De Niro film on here casino could end up here if I really thought about it I actually think his performance in The Irishman is really good even though it was much maligned for the restaurant scene where he clearly as an old man is stomping somebody out and it, yes it's laughable but the rest of that performance I think is really good um, Oz what are your top five so my number one didn't appear on your list and I think that my number one is without hyperbole, the single finest performance in the history of American cinema. What is it? And that is Robert De Niro's work in The Godfather Part 2. Oh, duh. I think the Sicily arc in in Godfather Part 2 is... it's it's just a transcendently brilliant performance and character piece. Everything from the the charm to the menace, from the the physicality to the language work, he is he is unbelievable. In that movie, I, I whatever awards, Oscars, all-time career achievements one can get, I I think that is the greatest performance. But really, I do the greatest performance in American film history. Can so I, can I, I have, call an audible? Like you heard how like unemphatic I was about my number five. I I just brain fart completely. Didn't even put The Godfather on my list. So yes, The Godfather Part Two. I'll put it my number five instead. Okay. Uh, my number two is Raging Bull for all the reasons you said. It's a magnificent physical transformative performance and utterly, utterly dominating of the screen. It's, it's, God damn, he's so good. Uh, my number three is Goodfellas. It's it's on the charm side of De Niro's skill set. It's great. Um, we've, Once Upon a Time in America is my number four. It's it's a very very good performance in a movie that is actually four hours long. So it's it's a it's a tough commitment, and I think there's like a four hour and forty minute version of it out there as well, like a director's cut. But uh, it's the Sergio Leone movie about Jewish gangsters in New York in the in the Depression, and uh, it's a, one of De Niro's finest performances. And for the fifth, a little bit of an outlier choice here, one that I thought might interest you, uh, is the Mission, where. De- Ah, okay. It's it's De Niro as a Jesuit priest who's off on uh, a mission to try to convert uh, folks to Catholicism. Uh, it's again a good, intense De Niro performance. I mean, for honorable mentions, Heat is my top honorable mention. Uh, with Taxi Driver next, and I'll just shout out that he's super fun in Stardust, even though I, I couldn't seriously put that movie on on this list. As Captain Captain Shakespeare, we have to talk about Cape Fear for a second because okay. I need to know if you're consistent and what are your thoughts on his performance in Cape Fear. I think that Cape Fear is not my favorite Robert De Niro performance. Okay, good, you're consistent because I will say rewatching it this week, 
while I still largely disagree with you about Christian Bale, seeing the overacting, especially in the last 30 minutes on the boat, this the, the Cape Fear performance goes much more toward unintentional comedy than menacing and deranged, which I think is what they were going for. I also just like don't really like any believable part of that movie. Like him riding underneath the car for states at a time to end up at the end. Just, yeah, not my cup of tea. So you just rewatched Marty's filmography over the course of the last couple of years uh, or two years ago. What uh, What's your least favorite Scorsese movie? Because I, Ooh, think, I, Cape Fear, I think Cape Fear might be mine. So I'm, I'm curious where you come down. Boxcar Bertha. Uh, that's there. Yeah. <laughs> there. <laughs> Sorry. I had to scroll up because I wrote down all the movies again. Yeah. Hugo's toward the bottom, but I think it's... I, well, so I wondered, was that your number five when you had before you had kids? I have, I have honestly, I have no idea uh, because it changes so much with Marty because it's all, it's all so good. Uh, probably not is the, is the fair answer, but uh, yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm going to be the ride or die for Hugo here. I'm just not, not, I'm not knocking. I just wonder if that will change for me too. You know, um, the only other De Niro thing I would shout out is uh, I, I very much adore him and meet the parents. I knew it had no I, chance of meeting my, <laughs> making my list. He's a, he's good in, in comedic stuff. I like him and mm-hmm. analyze this also, which I'm not even close to the list, but analyze this is good. It's funny. What's the, the movie where they just made him say fuck with Zac Efron. Oh, oh God. Dirty the, grandpa. The, it was bad. Yeah, the, one, the one where he had the, the sex scene with Aubrey Plaza yes. and she kept like grabbing his ass and that made him really mad. And he walked off the set. Yes. Yeah. That movie is very, very, very bad. What do you want, fucko? You want something? Huh? Oh, hey. 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 I swear my fucking mother, if you touch her again, you're dead. Oh. Next up is Goodfellas, a top five Ray Liotta film. I almost wonder if we should just go right to the category because let's go right to the category. So there's not much to say about this guy's career. There's really only two roles of his that I like. There's really not much in his career where him as the star works. It's almost like we're doing Aaron Eckhart again, where (laughs) when you're a supporting character it makes it makes much more sense to the story he's he's probably closer to to uma thurman tier for me as someone uh, who, who there you go doesn't doesn't bring much to my film going experience um I, i'm just going to dive into it because i really only think he has two leading role or two quasi leading roles which are good uh first place for me is obviously goodfellas it's the best performance of his career i i you know you you talk about outcomes in in drafted prospects and if someone were to draft uh ray liotta at the time of goodfellas you you would think to yourself this is a guy who's going to be a star for the next 30 years this is a career that i want to buy stock in and i think he hit about the lowest possible outcome for that that starting point uh my second place for him is is a small movie called narc uh with jason patrick it's it's a little training day ish about narcotics cops leota plays sort of this horrible evil corrupt cop and i understand if horrible evil corrupt cop movies are not something you're interested in in 2021 but uh it's it's a good it's a good solid somewhat scary performance my third place 
is Marriage Story. He, he plays a divorce lawyer and he plays it in this slimy, sleazy, over the top way that as someone with some experience with lawyers has seen uh, <laughs> folks who, who behave in quite that fashion. And I, I think he's actually very good in it. Um, my fourth place is a movie that came out this year that he's in for, I think, two scenes mm -hmm. called No Sudden Move. Please it's check a, it out, everybody. It's on HBO Max. Please yeah. check it out. I, I like it enough that I thought about it. It's not going to make the list, but I thought about it for top mob movies. It's it's really, really fun. It flies by and he shows up as a obviously a gangster in this scenery chewing performance, which actually somehow works because usually his scenery chewing shit is bad. Uh, here it works and he's actually very, very funny. Uh, my fifth is Field of Dreams. Thank you. I was wondering. <laughs> He's in that movie for like four minutes. I just, I don't, there's, there's not a lot of there there with the performance. It's He's a lot the of just reason they build it. And then he comes. There's just there's he's just dead behind the eyes. Maybe that's because he's dead as a character, but there's just no there's not a lot there to go from. And when you have someone like Costner on the other side, who's not exactly the world's most emotive actor, it it, it really and, and I love I love Field of Dreams and it, it gets me in the heartstrings and all that. But it's really because the movie is working overdrive. The score is working overdrive uh, to manipulate the shit out of you to make that role work. I've never seen a movie called Something Wild which I understand he's good in. So maybe he is, or maybe he isn't, but just throwing that out there and he's fine in Copland and which is a, a James Mangold cop movie with, with um, Sylvester Stallone and crossing over, which is this pretty bad crash esque um, thing about immigration where he plays a very molesty uh, immigration officer, but that's not, this is not my favorite actor. <laughs> so we have four matches. My number one is obviously Goodfellas. It's the performance of his career. Yet I have to just point out his over laughing during the how am I funny scene with Pesci is just bad. And I, I wonder the meticulous director like Marty not being able to get a second or third take to it not be that lets you know that at a certain point, in my head, he was like, listen, this is the best I'm going to get. Fine, Ray. This is the take we'll go with. And yet, best performance of his career. I like the Joe Jackson performance. Maybe it's just that because he's playing a ghost, so there's some mystique that has to go with it. That It's like I'm looking at somebody in a museum. This is a statue coming to life, so I don't need much emotion from that. And his presence matters for me throughout the rest of that movie. So Field of Dreams is my number two. My number three is Marriage Story. Laura Dern gets the love for that movie and that performance. She won an Oscar. Um, Ray Liotta matches her beat for beat. And if you've seen Big Little Lies, Laura Dern is playing the exact same character. You're getting to see what she looks like at work in that movie. Um, number four is No Sudden Move. If you haven't seen it, it's on HBO Max. Please go check it out. It's a Soderbergh movie that, if it was in theaters, would be getting the same love that Logan Lucky got a couple of years ago. I think it's really good. And then my number five is a cheat because I left it blank. Like, I don't have a fifth favorite Ray Liotta film on my list. So I've seen the reviews for The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos sequel that's coming out this weekend. And I suspect that this movie and his performance in that will be my number five. So with a caveat that I don't have a number five, uh, I will put 
pencil in the Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos prequel, which obviously is for a show that I have not seen. Anyway, I, I wasn't going to out that. I was going to let. I was going to let. It slide I've made it clear. Purposes. I've seen all of the important television shows. I've seen Lost. I've seen The Wire. I've seen Breaking Bad. I've seen Mad Men. I've seen most of The West Wing. They're all the same episode. Like, I've seen all the important television except that show. And that's why it's so frustrating that every time I go to start it, it's like, all right, I got to be in the mood because I'm like, this is going to take up the next five months. I will eventually see it. I just don't know when. Okay. And enjoy the many saints of Newark this weekend, everybody. Salute, Tommy. No more shines, Billy. What? I said no more shines. Maybe you didn't hear about it. You've been away a long time. They didn't go up there and tell you. Uh, I don't shine shoes anymore. Relax, will you, for crying out? What's, what's got into you? I'm breaking your balls a little bit, that's all. I'm only kidding with you. Sometimes I mean, you don't sound like you're kidding. You know, there's a lot of people around. I mean, I'm only kidding with you. We're having a party. I mean, I just came home. I haven't seen you in a long time, and I'm breaking your balls, and you're right away you're getting fucking fresh. I'm sorry. I don't mean right. to offend you. I'm sorry, too. It's okay. No problem. Okay, salute. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. Motherfucking what? You, you. Next up is Goodfellas, a top five Joe Pesci film. Um, it's weird how he's when he's the star in a movie, he's able to pull it off sometimes. And yet it's his supporting performances that come away with like the most memorable where this movie starring this person was great, but that Joe Pesci scene was incredible. And he's got like three or four of these in this movie. I have four Joe Pesci performances that I, I think are as, as good as performances get in, in as, as good as an actor can do with a role. And there are a lot of Joe Pesci performances that I think are quite bad. <laughs> and Like what? Oh God. What, what's, Oh, what is the eight heads in a duffel bag? That is a very, very bad movie. Um, there's just a lot of a, a lot of things there that we we need not spend a lot of time on. Uh, look, I mean, like I love it, but Home Alone is not exactly a, a a great performance. It's like an enjoyably fun performance. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll show up on my list. Mm. I pick fun shit sometimes. Mm-hmm. I pick Face Off for Travolta. Listen, uh, I have a list too. Don't worry. So um, <laughs> I, look, he's a guy who doesn't who doesn't really like this shit. He likes to do serious work. He likes money. Um, and has been pretty open about that. And it's taken roles because they, you know, build a, build you a house or buy you a boat or whatever, whatever his personal interests are. He's largely been retired for a while, despite offers to work because he just doesn't want to do this or be a part of the industry. It took Scorsese bringing the band back together to reevaluate his entire career to get him to do his first serious work in close to 20 years at that point. Um, I, I just, I think he's a, a wonderful actor when he wants to be and when he's engaged with a project and you know, less, less so when he's, you know, collecting a paycheck. So this is my turn, right? To go first with, yep. so my number one, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but speaking to a lawyer, I would hope that it's okay if I put my cousin Vinny as my number one Joe Pesci film. Um, so you and Yash and Macri gave me a different perspective because I thought it was just like a goofy courtroom comedy for a while. And then you guys telling me how accurate his cross examinations and the treating of the representation of contempt 
in court and how well that's done is in that movie. Um, yeah. And it's like it's insanely funny too. As goofy as some of that movie can be, it is uh, aside from maybe Mangrove in the small act series, the most accurate depiction of the ebb and flow of cross-examination of how witness examination should work. Uh, I had, and I, I said this on other podcasts, but I don't think on this one, I, a law school professor of mine used the cross-examinations in in My Cousin Vinny to teach how to cross-examine as a real lawyer. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, I, I, I have no objection to that being in your first spot, and I suspect it will show up on my list soon. So my number two is Goodfellas, and this is going to start a run of movies where Joe Pesci loses his mind for a scene. So, like, pick a scene, whether it's the... Uh, it, it, how am I funny scene um, the, the entire shine box sequence um, the I, I mean the burying of Billy Bats and that whole trip out to, to they're in Long Island or Jersey where do they go bury him oh it's I think they say it's upstate it's There's upstate a throwaway line oh. about it being upstate the other direction there you go I picked the one of two directions and I forgot to think of north <laughs> anyway um, they take him upstate um, then the sequence where he gets made at the end. Um, yeah, there's so many different iconic moments of that movie. Uh, my number three is Raging Bull. Um, he plays Ray LaMotta's brother, Joey. And the when he blows up again on Frank Vincent <laughs> and uh, Raging Bull is my number three. Number four is Casino. And I need to say nothing more than is this your pen? And then my number five, how dare you, Oz, is Home Alone, because watching Macaulay Culkin uh, run amok and and play tricks on Pesci on, on the Wet Bandits, and watching Pesci get his head blown off and his hand burnt and fall downstairs and every single thing about that. the last twenty minutes of Home Alone might be the greatest twenty minutes in cinema history, whether we want to admit it or not. So those are my top five. Uh, look, I mean, the, the last 20 minutes of Home Alone certainly inspired the last 20 minutes of Skyfall. So, <laughs> um, all right. So my top five is a little bit different than yours, but in broad strokes, we're, we're, we're close enough. My, my number one is Goodfellas. Uh, aside from the, the big moments, one of the moments that stuck out to me on my most recent rewatch are the scenes with his mother, who's Marty's actual mother. There's just an actual, uh, there's a legitimate tenderness to it that shows a real range, a real sort of human uh, human element to this potential caricature that he's playing that I think really grounds a lot of the more over-the-top parts of the performance. Uh, my number two is My Cousin Vinny, which for all the reasons you said is absolutely wonderful. My number three, and I, I'm I'm stunned it wasn't on your list, uh, is The Irishman. So my take about The Irishman is while Buffalino is really good, I, I very much enjoy. And this, again, might speak to our tastes that I like the Pacino over the top performance in that movie. And the understated of Pesci kind of falls to the background. But you, I'm not surprised at all, had it on your list. You can have your hooahs. I'll have my I normal. Will. I'll have my normal humans. Uh, uh, the Irishman my three, normal ra- human. <laughs> and Raging Bull is four for me. Everything you said is right on. Uh, so, I have those as four just just masterpiece performances. Then I think there's a bunch of movies where he's 
he's good. He's good in Casino. He's he's good enough in the Lethal Weapon sequels. Um, just sort of doing his usual Pesci thing. And there's one uh, bad movie that he embraces with just the right sort of swagger and sense of fun. And I also have Home Alone in the fifth spot okay, on good. my list, despite me thinking it might actually be a bad performance no. and it might actually be a bad movie. No. Uh, it's fun. I was, I don't know, like seven or eight years old when it came out. I have incredibly fond memories of that movie. And actually, was that 90? When, when did that It was come 1990, out? same year I as was, Goodfellas. Yeah. I was five when that came out. Uh, so I, I have five-year-old me has overrided whatever sense is otherwise in my brain uh home alone gets my fifth spot good we're gonna have hands if it didn't okay (laughs) there you go i didn't even mention the the scene where he shoots spider and then shoots spider again and his whole attitude like don't make a big deal out of it hey what do you want i'm a good shot it's just yes joe pesci bravo whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey, what's that movie that woke on me? Which one? The one where he played a cowboy. Only the uh, one. The, the Oklahoma Kid. Shane? Oklahoma Kid. Shane. Oklahoma <laughs> Kid. That's me. I'm the Oklahoma Kid. <laughs> Now he's moving. He's making me. Everyone, he's got him in the foot. foot. Tommy, he's yeah, fucking we'll doctor. All right, so he got shot in the uh, foot. What is it? A what? big fucking deal? Vito, Vito, Hey, take him to Ben Casey, the little prick. Look, let him crawl there like he crawls for the fucking drink. Take him down the doctor. Take him to the doctor down the street. Fucking prick. Come on, don't get me upset now. Come on, make a big fucking thing out of it, Spidey, you little prick. You ain't make me think what the fuck I did here. Pretty big one. The genre is Goodfellas, a top five mob movie. So I mentioned with the Irishman that these are terrible people and we tend to idolize them. And I, I don't want to sound like, like a, a party pooper here, but I feel like in a way, the message of the movie, which is what you mentioned with Marty eventually doing the Irishman, gets lost with some of these movies. And I tend to think that Goodfellas, while acknowledging that like they do have the the come down like what happens to Tommy happens like Jimmy ends up like with nobody at his side and can't trust anybody and Henry and Karen are in witness protection they do have the fall with the rise but the rise is so entertaining and it'll come into play with the next category that I very much like wanted to be Henry Hill for half of that movie maybe even longer throughout that movie is that a problem or is that more just the interpretation that people are going to have whether it's the filmmaker's responsibility or not i i don't think it's a problem at all because you have to just read the 
the text of the film correctly, of course, there's an appeal to it. Marty wouldn't have spent his career making movies about these people if there wasn't some fundamental appeal to it. It wouldn't be. I mean, the gangster movie is sort of the great American that in the Western or like the great American genres of filmmaking. We we do them better than everyone else. And the whole world considers these things masterpieces. Um, I I. I agree. I, I, there, there are parts of me that watch and are like, oh, here's where I would have done it better. Or <laughs> I would have done way less cocaine there and then it would have worked out better. And there you can almost it's almost frustrating because you can see the ways that he is fucking up opportunity uh, that, that make it such a, a frustrating and compelling rise and fall saga. Yeah. So. You know how when we were talking about Tropic Thunder, how I think that movie is brilliant aside from Simple Jack. And while it might have been intentional to be like, you got to stop making these characters, what the actual takeaway of the movie is that people started doing Simple Jack impersonations. I worry about that sometimes with these types of movies. However, and I think this will lead into our top fives, I think the ones that do it right have the appropriate consequences attached to it. So Oz... What are your top five mob movies? This category is holy shit difficult. Can we call an audible and actually do a top like 35 if that's okay? <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I could legitimately do a top 35. So I, I, I structured this such that I, I looked only at movies that are more focused on mob people like characters who are either in or directly adjacent to the mob because if we start expanding it out to you know like where the mob is a bad guy or something like that it, it becomes very very unwieldy technically the dark knight is a mob movie then that that's it's actually that's that's a good example there's stuff like the dark knight or the raid which could technically be um mob movies and Listen, i didn't want to the get, raid is eligible i have to redo my list so pulp fiction uh, that that I, i'm not counting that could arguably fall into the mob movie set so i i'm I, I feel like I'm betraying Marty a little with my ranking here, but I, I here we go. Number one for me is The Godfather Part Two. Number two for me is The Godfather. Uh, the I, I I just they're the two best mob movies ever. I don't know. I, I wanted to try to do something different. Can I, I save to, us on time? It's my number one and my number two also. Yes. Are you also two before one or one? I would put two? two ahead of one. Yes. yes. Um. So. Godfather two, Godfather one. My number three is on the waterfront. Okay. The 1954 like Kazan, Marlon Brando movie uh, about sort of a shitty bag man, mobster heavy working at the Jersey docks. Uh, it's, it's really good and it's incredibly modern. It aged for a movie from the fifties. A, a lot of them just don't age in a way that make them quite work for modern audiences. That one definitely does. My number four is Goodfellas, and I, I, I'm just flabbergasted to have to put it that low on on any list because it is a straight up masterpiece. But this, these are the categories, and this is the final review. This is what we're doing here. <laughs> and my number five, I'm gonna go a little off the the beaten path with this one. It's a little bit of a, a personal favorite. Is Eastern Promises, the David Cronenberg uh, Russian mobster movie, with um, and it, it just extraordinary committed lead performance from Viggo Mortensen, who goes about as far into the Christian Bale shtick as you can without being too far for me and a very, very good Naomi Watts uh, and Vincent Castle uh, roles in that as well. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's 
very visceral. It moves very, very quickly. And there is an awful lot of Viggo Mortensen's uh, Morton bits uh, during a certain action scene in that movie. I have a ton of honorable mentions, but let's let's do your top five before I I ramble here. Well, we have three out of five that are the same. Um, Godfather 2, Godfather 1. Um, well, The Godfather. Um, and then Goodfellas is my number three. So my number four... We've set we've okay. We've set all five of my movies. So number four is I'm gonna actually do a last minute swap. I'll put the Irishman at four, um, for all the reasons I've said so far. So my number five is The Departed, and while like that is also a largely about the police department and the actual mob may not be featured as much. However, I I think the fact that the mob also has control of the police department helps me get away with it a little more. It's a fair, it's a fair mob choice. So those are my top five. I have one that I'm very annoyed that I had to cut, but go ahead. You first. So I, I'm going to limit myself to five here because I could go forever. And I'm going to pick another Cronenberg and say a history of violence, which is incredible. Another incredible Viggo Mortensen movie. Gamora, which is um, an Italian movie. Actually, I think produced by Martin Scorsese about low level, street thugs in the Italian mob. It's a modern, like set in, I don't know, 2010, 2012, something like that. Uh, Very good, very heavy, probably uh, a little on the indie side in feel for folks. Uh, Once Upon a Time in America is coming back again Mm -hmm. for four hours of your life. (laughs) Miller's Crossing I'm putting on here, which is kind of an underrated Coen's movie with a very, very good John Turturro performance. I guess I'm sort of drawn to these low-level, shitty mobsters. Miller's uh, Crossing is on my honorables. I love that movie. Yeah, it's really, it's really, and it's sort of the law. I think it's kind of the lost Cohen's masterpiece. And uh, I'll throw Mean Streets up there again for for an honorable mention. Do you not like The Untouchables? Uh, I, I like The Untouchables just fine. It's a little hammy. I, I don't I don't really like Kevin Costner very uh, much. Okay, hence your v- you're lower than me ranking of Field of Dreams. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I like Sean Connery in that movie very much, even though it's like the hammiest performance. But uh yeah, I don't I I think it's I think it's good. I the I think the baby carriage the, on the staircase. The baby car- the, I was gonna say the baby carriage staircase thing is amazing. It is like a feat of action filmmaking. It's incredible. And everyone who very poorly makes action scenes in blockbusters these days should be required like clockwork orange style strapped down to watch that on repeat <laughs> to understand how editing works. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I think it's, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. That was my honorable mention that I, I hated to have to cut, but this is, I, again, I enjoy the action in that movie significantly more than the mob stuff, but you know, I, I still very much enjoy the untouchables. Um, and then a Bronx tale we, we haven't said yet, but I, because Jonathan Macri will listen to this podcast and wonder when <laughs> we mentioned a Bronx tale. We have mentioned a Bronx tale. There you go. Thank you, sir. All right, I'll see you later. Thanks. What are you doing? You're leaving your car? Watch the car for me. It's easier than leaving it out of the garage and waiting. It's a lot quicker that way. You know what I mean? Huh? Next up, does Goodfellas have a top five continuous uninterrupted shot? Now I turn to the filmmaking whiz in asking how far back does the uninterrupted shot go? Um, what's a real version of this where it's actually all one take and what is more creatively put together? 
your thoughts and the brief history of uninterrupted one take shots. So these sort of things date back to the 1890s when it was too expensive and difficult to move cameras. So a lot of things were done not dissimilar from plays. In fact, if you watch Hugo, you'll see how they made a lot of those early movies frequently in one shot. But really, I, I think one shot started to to pick up again in post-war post-World War II America, you start to see them some coming around a lot more in the 50s where the camera movement starts to become dynamic instead of just uh, a static cam shot that picks up everything happening in front of it. Rather, you get a camera that moves, that becomes almost a part of the story and the narrative. I mean, you just brought up De Palma. De Palma has like a million one shots that are incredible. What what we've seen, though, it's, it's become sort of a, a director show off, a director flex these days. And a lot of the ones that you see in particularly action movies in the last couple of years are fake. And they do it by very creatively editing and stitching together scenes. And I, I, I'm omitting fake ones, even though there are some really, really cool ones. Like 1917 mm, is I amazing. I admitted it too, yeah. I left it out. It's really great. It, the way it works, it creates this... You do a one-shot because it, it brings the audience in. At a, at a literal brain chemistry level, uh, every time a shot cuts to a different shot, it takes your brain, your eyes... a fraction of a second to readjust, to re-engage with the material. So it's possible to quite literally bring a viewer more into the story if you don't ever break. And they fake it by you know coming to a very particular frame and with computers and all the technology we have, it's relatively simple to splice together two shots so that it feels close enough to trick your brain into thinking it's one thing. Uh, so 1917 is a good fake one. Gravity, Extraction has a really killer like 15 minute action scene in the middle of it. Atomic Blonde, all of these good fake scenes, but I, I'm, I'm omitting the fakes and looking at the ones where they have to do it through practical planning and camera work. So I have a story. So when I was in college and I covered the football team and I, look, this is fully acknowledging peaked in college hand up. That's on me. I knew a lot of the bigger players that not, not like the football players. I did know a lot of them, but like I knew the athletic director, I knew the football coach. I knew a lot of the people that sat in the suites at football games and like, if you go to college and fo college football matters, if you know a lot of those people, you can tend to be high profile. And so I would always sit in the press box on Saturdays for games and for homecoming, my senior year, I was dating a girl and for the parade, I waved to the first three cars. They all pointed me out by name. And then we did literally a Copa walk through the stadium where I knew the elevator guy. I knew the cook. I knew the athletic director. It's like, <laughs> oh, Andrew, nice to see you. And I could swear that I heard the crystals playing in my head as I was going. It's the closest I'll ever get to being as cool as Henry Hill looked walking down the back entrance of the Copa to the front of the stage. And like, I didn't tip everybody $20 because didn't have to broke college student, but that is my mini flex into uh, more, more importantly, just the relation is to how dope Henry Hill looks, how Ray Liotta looks for a good two and a half minutes. 
um, leading up to one of the more iconic shots in film history. I think, well, do film school people get shown this before any other for continuous shots? You know, I, I actually, it, I, I, I don't want to out one that's going to show up on my list, but there is, I think, sort of a, a granddaddy of them all that is, at least for, for my film education, was shown off as the, this is what a one shot oh. is. This is the... Now I'm this curious, damn. Pinnacle of it. So I, I I will withhold answering that question for just a few minutes. So as far as my taste in one shots goes, um, I am a sucker for like things happening, like action sequence one takes. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just go through my list. So there's a movie that came out, I think in 2005 called Children of Men. It stars um Chiwetel Ejiofor it stars oh my god Clive Owen Clive, Clive Owen. Owen who's the uh, she gets shot Julianne in the Moore. Julianne Moore thank you there's a car attack scene that to this day I am terrified by and like they talked about how they rehearsed it for 7 days and then they they rigged up the camera so that it spins around the middle of the vehicle so that way you see both the front of the car the side of the car and the back of the car during this one take shot um, it's in a dystopian future, and when this car attack scene happens, you're on pins and needles, and it is incredible. So that is my number one, because when I think of one take, you're waiting for the scene to cut, so that way you can catch your breath, because you're, again, on the edge of your, literally on the edge of your car seat for this entire sequence. You know, can I can I just stop you for two seconds on Children of Men? What's up? Uh, that movie is amazing. Number one, we should do it on this podcast someday. Okay. But uh, that movie has multiple contenders for okay. what is the what is the best one shot. So uh, I, I don't mean to, to sidetrack us, but perhaps do you have another one. I do. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so old boys one number two. Um, there is a sequence down a hallway. Um, where it looks like the one in Daredevil, but since this one happened first, Daredevil looks like the one that happened in this. Um, guys, go watch it on YouTube. It's incredible. Uh, there's a scene up a staircase in a movie called The Protector that is one of the more impressive versions of this because it deals with height as well, where you're literally following a fight like a video game up a staircase, then going back down to see someone fall down the staircase. Then you're going back up and it's almost as if like the camera can't keep up with the fights that are happening. And it goes on for like five or six minutes all in one take. Um, my number four is Goodfellas. And then my number five is the opening scene into the club in Boogie Nights, which shows you well, Paul Thomas Anderson shows you the life of porn star director Burt Reynolds all leading until we eventually land on um, Mark Wahlberg's Dirk Diggler. Uh, so those are my top five. Uh, that is an excellent list. My my top five. My my number one is Children of Men, but it's actually the the street shootout. I thought that would be the other one the, you do. Okay, yeah, with the building blowing up and the weaving in and out of the cars. This this is a scene where famously they accidentally get some stunt blood on the lens of the camera and just leave it there because they're going for a you know realistic sort of cinema verite look to things. So Children of Men is my greatest one take shot ever. Uh, my number two is the movie that you talked about, one of the or that I I alluded to before. One of the things I try to do here is balance, you know, how things impact character with how things impact the awesomeness of one shots. So the the number two is Touch of Evil, mm. which is an Orson Welles movie. And it's all set to the percussive beat of a clock. 
hand ticking as a bomb that you know is in the back seat of a, or the trunk of a car is crossing over the Mexican border. And the camera just sort of weaves its way through the town while the clock sets this beat of this sort of inevitable explosion. That's another one that's on YouTube and is definitely worth it's a good movie otherwise, but it, that's definitely worth your 10 minutes. My number three is the good is Goodfellas, the Copa scene, and mm-hmm. not just because it's awesome, but because it is a, a really cool encapsulation of sort of class struggle and how Henry Hill has kind of cut the line, like quite literally, they descend down the stairs into these hellish bowels, go through the door, meet sort of the lowest man on the totem pole. And then they work their way up as they walk through the club from the people who are basically like the janitors working in the hall with no lights up through the cooks, up through the coat men, up through the people who <laughs> sit you down, up through the middle to the other mobsters surrounding him up until the the man on stage is interacting is interacting down with Henry and Karen. And it's, it is, it's a perfect encapsulation of the themes of the movie. It's a perfect encapsulation of Marty's filmmaking prowess. And it's something he wonderfully comes back to and and pokes fun at in the Irishman when he does a similar shot through De Niro's nursing home Mm -hmm. uh, in the film. My number four is a movie called the secret in their eyes. Have you seen this movie? I have not. No. So it's a, it's a murder mystery movie. I think, I think it won the Best Foreign Film Academy Award a couple of years ago. They made a very, very bad remake with Chiwetel Ejiofor and Julia Roberts, which you <laughs> should not watch. You should find the original. Um, but there's a shot in that movie. It's about trying to hunt down um, a killer. And it starts outside of a soccer stadium. It's a helicopter shot that goes into the soccer stadium, follows a chase while there's a where while there's a soccer game going on, and then follows the chase outside into the into the streets outside of the outside of the stadium. It's it's really just astonishing that they were able to do this. I I, I understand it to be real. I'm sort of blown away by it. Uh, it's really really cool stuff, and that movie is also very good. And you you're talking about you know twist endings, surprising outcomes to movies that has a, a hell of a, a hell of an ending to it. Mm. Uh, my number five is one where reading about it, how I learned how these things work. And that's the movie atonement, which has the, the mm, yes. Okay. Go the, ahead. Es- the escape of the battle of Dunkirk, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the Christopher Nolan dark Knight episode. But uh, it's a one take shot that shows really all of the mustering of the troops. It's focused in on just the McAvoy character, but it's fo- it shows sort of the scope and scale of the evacuation at Dunkirk all through one you know, six or seven minute uninterrupted shot. And what I learned from that is uh, the way they do this a lot of the times is music. So everyone needs to be set to a beat. So there they had a band that was playing music, which set the pacing for where everyone needed to be. Uh, I have I, I have a million honorable mentions. I'll just do two. One is Hard Boiled, which is amazing. It's Chow Yun Fat with a baby and a shotgun. One of the coolest parts about it is he gets in an elevator in the middle of it. He's in the elevator for like 15 seconds. And that 15 seconds is they could change the set outside the elevator and keep the one shot going. Really cool stuff. That would definitely be fake these days, I guess. And uh, Old Boy is my other uh my other honorable mention for the famed hammer hallway fight scene. And I'll just add children of men is available on uh, showtime. If you want to check it out, everybody, because two different scenes ended up in our top uh, as our number ones in this movie. Um, in this category, I should say, tell me, tell me where you've been. I haven't seen you. I haven't even 
You haven't even called or anything. Where have you been? Well, no, I've been working nights. And? Um, well, tonight we were out late. We took a ride on the... out to the country and we hit one of those deers. I told you, well, the blood came from I told you. Jimmy told you before, I won't say. Anyway, you know, it reminds me, I need this knife. I'm gonna take this, it's okay? Okay, yeah, I just need to pull bring it, it back, though, you know. Well, the poor thing, you know, we got... I hit him and his, uh, we hit the deer and his paw, what do you call it? The paw. The, the paw, paw the, the hoof. The hoof got caught in the grill. Oh. I, gotta, I gotta hack it off. Next up is Goodfellas, a top five needle drop movie soundtrack. So are we doing this based off of the entire soundtrack of a movie? So therefore, like musicals don't count? I'm not counting musicals here. I'm I'm thinking of outside music that is brought into a movie to set a tone and a feel and everything else. And I don't okay. mean the soundtrack exclusively when you, you know, throw it on your your Spotify or whatever the kids do for music these days. Um I, I mean how it works as it's placed in the movies. So, you know, a a song can really I, let's let's use a Marty example. I, I think shipping up to Boston in The Departed is just a, an iconic integration of song, tone, feel, shot. It's really it, it sets the mood for that movie and this sort of throwing down the gauntlet that Marty may be the master of New York, but he's coming for for Boston's crown too. Uh, it, it's I think the use of music in movies, which was utterly abused by TV shows in the 2000s that ended every episode in a montage can have a really cool emotional response and effect. So uh, yeah, real normal songs integrated into movies is, is where I go here. This is where, again, our tastes are going to show because I'm going to assume that you and I have different tastes in music. So I will be stunned if we have more than one crossover here. I, I will be genuinely stunned. And this also might show our difference in ages and the difference in movies we grew up in loving and enjoying. So Oz, take it away. Your top five movie soundtracks. So uh, this was a, a, a tough category for me because I, I find that I, I think of individual scenes more than than overall soundtracks and, mm -hmm. and sort of coming up with a balance of it was difficult. But my my number one is uh, Forrest Gump which has an incredible soundtrack, both if you play it and through the integration in the movie. Uh, my number two, I'm going to go with Goodfellas. My number three will be American Graffiti. So George Lucas pre-Star Wars. Uh, my number four will be Dazed and Confused. And my number five will be uh, a little bit of a stranger choice here. Spring Breakers, the <laughs> James Franco, Harmony Corinne movie about uh, girls who become criminal kingpins on spring break. So as I predicted, we have one crossover on our list so far. And to the extent where I actually totally forgot how much I enjoy the soundtrack of Forrest Gump. So I, I think I think it still wouldn't make my list though. My number one is Shrek. And this is again, where you and I <laughs> will differ in our tastes in movies. Oz, so we're like a Smash Mouth fan podcast. Yes. Now? Okay. Smash Mouth fans, hit me <laughs> up. Okay. Hey, now you're an all star. Get your game on. Go play. <laughs> My number two, it's a bit of a cheat because like the music is. Mo <laughs> I really caught Oz off guard on that one. Um, <laughs> this is delighting. My delighting number me. two is a bit of a cheat because the music is like 
it's featured throughout the movie and it's featured like it, it's based off of some original like it's straight out of Compton but like that NWA album is one of my favorite of all time and I challenge you to find a better use of NWA outside of the movie Us but a use of NWA's music than when they do this the reenactment of Ice Cube recording No Vaseline midway through that movie um, so Straight Outta Compton is my number two. Um, Goodfellas is my number three. Um, and I'd argue that the peak version of this, the Copa, um, and then he kissed me is like, I, I hear that when I walk into restaurants. And like, as I mentioned, when I walk into football stadiums in college, um, anytime I want to pretend I'm a big shot, I'll hear that in the background unintentionally. Uh, my number four, and once again, difference in tastes, uh, my number four is Space Jam. Because, well, I will say, I will say, aged horribly because of R. Kelly being featured on that soundtrack. <laughs> However, I still return to that album when I'm at the gym and I want to hear Fly Like an Eagle or Come On and Slam and Welcome to the Jam. Um, yeah, there are, there's many. Listen, if he wasn't such a gigantic piece of shit at R. Kelly, like R. Kelly wasn't such a gigantic piece of shit, Space Jam has a contention to be my number one. Okay. That's how much I enjoy that soundtrack. And then my number five is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. And it's the movie I think that represented a change in the MCU. It's a movie that came out after Thor the Dark World, which made me wonder if this is just what these movies are gonna be. And I'll I'll come back when you're fun again. And then <laughs> Guardians came back and it's like, oh, colors, music, this is fun again. Uh yeah. So Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. Um, I have a couple honorable mentions. Um, Black Panther, another MCU movie, Friday, but more importantly, Friday after next is my favorite of the three Fridays. Um, and then Purple Rain, again, featured yeah, throughout cool. the soundtrack, but featured throughout the movie, but Purple Rain probably should be on my list, but it isn't. So Train Spotting was my mm. my next contender. Good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jimmy was cutting every link between himself and the robbery, but it had nothing to do with me. I gave Jimmy the tip and he gave me some Christmas money. From then on, I kept my mouth shut. I knew Jimmy. He had the cash. It was his. I know he kicked some money upstairs to Paulie, but that was it. Made him sick to have to turn money over to the guys who stole it. He'd rather whack them. Anyway, what did I care? I wasn't asking for anything, and besides, Jimmy was making nice money with me through my Pittsburgh connections. Still, months after the robbery, they were finding bodies all over. So next up is Goodfellas, a top five film narration do you like film narration in movies i would say that it's overused and most people should probably not use it and it's a 
in not in Goodfellas case or in mm-hmm. the case of the movies that I want to talk about now, uh, it's often a crutch for when you're struggling to otherwise convey an idea to an audience. What's that a you, bad example? Uh, isn't there narration in the Chronicles of Riddick to explain all the bullshit of the world? Okay. I was thinking Molly's Game is one. The, oh my the Jessica God. Chastain oh, movie. Jesus Christ. Again, uh, yeah, that, Aaron Sorkin. Sor- Sorkin, Sorkin Bation there. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, it's not, it's just, it's not my favorite thing. It's not my favorite device, but when it works well, I think it gives a different insight than the story in front of you. It can be used to sort of subvert and play with what you're seeing on the screen. I, I, I know we're a movie thing, so I'm just going to use TV for one second here and say that the early seasons of Dexter use it wonderfully to both poke fun at and deepen what's happening between the characters on screen. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I think that it's a tool that should be used um, conservatively. Okay, I agree. And you just reminded me of how much I love Dexter, by the way. Um, that show's coming back, right? Or did it come back? It's coming back in November with the guy who ran the first four years. So he oh, left the good Tr- seasons. He left after Trinity, and now he's coming back and, and doing a, another season. Oh, so there's hope. There's some hope. There is hope. Okay. Wow, you got me excited to go back and watch it now. Okay, so it's my turn to go first, right? Mm-hmm. So, number one, I think, I'm wondering, based off of last week's episode, if there'll be some crossover here. My number one is Shawshank Redemption, um, Morgan Freeman's narration throughout that. Uh, my number two is Goodfellas. My number three, and I, I wanted to try and do honor the exercise that you like to do sometimes with one per director, but I couldn't not put The Wolf of Wall Street on here. As, it's just, it's... As good as Goodfellas as far as narration goes. I just like Goodfellas a little more. My number four is Memento. And I think Memento's narration is almost important because of... He, you're literally seeing him work out his memory loss throughout the movie. And it, it helps you kind of keep track of everything that's going on as you go. And number five, it's a David Fincher film. And I, I need to pick one because we're finally on the podcast. I need to pick one. The head says Fight Club, but the heart says Gone Girl. So I think because there's less in Gone Girl and the scene when the twist happens to me is a little more iconic than any narration scene in Fight Club. I'll go with Gone Girl with a very close runner-up um, being Fight Club at number six. So Gone Girl, number, number five, Fight Club, number six. I think these are all strong choices. I, I have different ones, but for similar reasons. Okay. My, my top dog here is Adaptation, which I, I think is hilarious. And uh, you know, li- like you mentioned with Memento, and it's going to come up with another one of mine, I, I think it's interesting when the narration device is used to do something different with the story and, and subvert the story and i think mementos play with memory adaptations play with you know what what's actually happening in the story within the story is very interesting in a way that could only be done through the use of narration number two is goodfellas and i think one of the underrated things about it is the frame shift to karen's Mm, side of the story here and i and it always, I, I, I don't know why, but I always forget about that. And then each time I hear the shift over to her and she talks about, you know, even with the gun in her hand and she talks about how she thought it was hot like that, that to me, it gives a, a more complete perspective on the rise and fall of a family, not just the rise and fall of Hill. I think it works wonderfully and it's often 
witty and funny and makes this thing hum. Uh, my number three is another one of these weird meta things, which is Stranger Than Fiction, uh, a movie by a director who got off a great start named Mark Forster and then made a lot of very bad movies. And I don't know what he's up to these days, but uh, it's it's uh, Will Ferrell and he's interacting with the narrator of his own life's story, which sounds very quirky and strange, but it's a very funny, pleasant movie. Four for me is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm. On my honorable mentions. Well done. Yeah, I love Shane Black's writing. And I think Robert Downey Jr. is is perfect in his sort of manic, energized state to deliver these lines and to to put the right singe of humor into him. And fifth for me is what I suspect might be Marty's own number one, because I know it's one of his favorite films, is Francois Truffaut's Joulet at Jim, (laughs) which is a... uh, I had to I had to get one of these. I knew movie. I knew it. OK, it, it's it's a, uh, a it's a love triangle movie, a French new wave love triangle movie that also creatively uses perspective from the narration to shift how you feel about and understand the characters. So there's there's my top five. I'm stunned you didn't say Shawshank. I honestly I have to say I. I'm stunned I didn't say Shawshank too. I thought about it initially, then I made this list and felt good about it. And I, it, it would be an I didn't write honorable mentions for this one for some reason, but it would definitely be an honorable mention for me. And I felt a pang when you said it aloud of, <laughs> oh shit, I should have had that. So Taxi Driver, another Scorsese movie that um, we I have on my honorable mentions. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, one of the times that I actually like Jim Carrey in a movie um, is really good. And then this is, again, my list. Easy A with Emma Stone. Um, I adore that movie so much. And it's before she... And look, she's had like a successful career, so I'm not knocking the success, but I very much enjoy Teenage Heartthrob Emma Stone more than Birdman Emma Stone, to, to give an example. So those would be my honorable mentions. What was I supposed to do? They were all over the house. Herman, that was worth $60,000. I need that money. That's all we got. What was I supposed to do? They Karen! Weren't, they weren't everything. That's all the money that we had, Karen. I was dependent on that. Why did you do that? I had to Karen, they, were, they were gonna find oh, it. Fuck, Karen, they would have never they found, found it. it. I swear to you, Henry. I swear to Henry, they would have found it. <laughs> Why did you do that, Karen? You. Last two. We'll do them together. Is Goodfellas a top five film that came out in 1990? I hinted at this earlier because I mentioned that the box office was uh, not great that year for Goodfellas. Can I read you the top 10 gross, highest grossing films that year? Oh, please do. It's, it's, a rough, it's a rough patch. So in 1990, at number one with $205 million is the movie Ghost, starring Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, and Whoopi Goldberg. Number two is Pretty Woman, starring Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Number three is Home Alone, one of the... I mean, we've mentioned it many times throughout this podcast. Number four may come up in a minute, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, the first one, not the secret of the ooze. Uh, <laughs> number five is the hunt for red October. Number six is total recall. Number seven is die hard Two. number eight is driving miss Daisy. Am I reading the wrong year? Yeah. Driving Miss Daisy is not, is, is that really 1990? No, no, no. Hold on. Driving Miss Daisy. Did, oh um, yeah. 
It did. It probably had like a it, late nineteen eighty nine release. It, yeah, okay. it's like a Christmas. It's like a Christmas eighty nine with the trailing over to ninety. There you go. Um, so like what American Sniper did basically, where it yeah, made like six hundred million dollars, but Black Hawk Down. There's a million Bingo. examples of these. All the uh, like awards bait movies. Number nine is Dick Tracy, and number ten is Back to the Future Part Three. All of these movies made more than Goodfellas in nineteen ninety. That's a better list than I than I thought it was when I was. It feels better when you read it aloud. It's not It's not yeah. as terrible as I thought this year was. So we mentioned it. Dances with Wolves wins Best Picture this year over Goodfellas um, at the Oscars. Uh, is that correct? Unfortunately, yes. That's, that's a true statement. <laughs> this is one of the ones that Oz got very frustrated with. And it's why Goodfellas, if we wanted to give it more points, could end up as a top five Oscar snub. But instead, we go to 1990. Is Goodfellas a top five 1990 film? Oz, your list. Absolutely, yes. Easy, 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 easy. Number one for me. It's the best movie of 1990. The Same. rest of my list, I'm going to... Yeah, it's uh, this, this seems pretty academic. But the rest of my list is Miller's Crossing which I was mentioned earlier as Cohen's movie hunt for red October, which I like, I think it's one of the few non diehard things that John McTiernan did, which is good. Uh, pretty woman. I think it's good. It's going to be number four for me. Mm-hmm. I understand that that may be a take that I'm judged for. And my number five is uh La Femme Nikita, the Luke Besson. That's not that weird a movie. Come on. There's nah, like seven American remakes of it. Okay. It's just a, it's like a badass action movie. It's, it's good and enjoyable. And my honorable mentions are Dances with Wolves, which is fine, and Arachnophobia, which I kind of like, but uh, yeah, not a great year. <laughs> I can't, um, I, I, like, I can't sit here and be like, oh my god, Total Recall. It's just I, I don't have it in me. I know it's that's an '80s movie that spilled into the '90s, and you, you, we've made your thoughts about the '80s clear. So I don't know what you're talking about. We have the same number one, the same number three. My number three is Hunt for Red October. We have the same number four, um, Pretty what? Woman. I love wow. Pretty Woman. Yeah. I love, if you don't like Pretty Woman, then this might not be the podcast for you. Um, <laughs> my number two is Home Alone. I It's, again, judging by five, year, excuse me, two-year-old Andrew that probably saw Home Alone for the first time in 1990 and then so many other times throughout the 90s. Uh, I had to put it at number two on my list. And then my number five, because again, child Andrew is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I am unapologetically a fan of both this and the sequel starring Vanilla Ice. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. My only honorable Uh, mention is uh, The Exorcist 3 came out this year. I'm not the biggest fan of the movie overall, but the uh, hallway sequence in the hospital is one of the more terrifying things I've ever seen in a movie. One of the biggest jump scares I've ever seen. Yeah, that movie has some cool elements to it that it don't, does. don't quite come together perfectly. Yeah. But yeah, it's not a not a banner year for American or worldwide filmmaking, actually. And yet, Goodfellas was its number one in 1990, which leads to the 1990s. Now, we hinted last week that Pulp Fiction missed both of our lists for Is Goodfellas a Top 5 Film of the 90s and i teased that it would be very soon before you'd understand why and it's because pulp fiction is my number six behind goodfellas at number five so i have four movies that are ahead of goodfellas in the 90s um i i think when i i think of this kind of movie i think of scorsese uh his best movie for me in this decade is 
uh, Goodfellas, which is ironic because I think his best movie of two consecutive decades happened in the first year of its decade. So um, Goodfellas would be my number five. And then as we do with these decade categories, uh, this we will wait until the rest of the list gets filled out for you guys to hear what the rest of it is. Oz, for you, what are your top five? Well, is Goodfellas in your top five of the 1990s? We've never had you hit on, oh no, we had, Raiders of the Lost Ark made it in the Raiders 80s. Made. Yes. It made it. It, it made it. Uh, and not only did it make it, it is in a, a, a death match for number one on my list. I'm putting it number two. I don't know if we're ever going to talk about my number one. We're going to have, it's going to need to be like a special, my birthday present episode to talk about number <laughs> one, one. One for but Oz. It, there you go. Yeah, uh, but um, cause it, nobody saw the movie that I would put number one, Aww. but uh, num- <laughs> number, number oh, two. Wait, is, is it even eligible? Yeah, it's Oscar nominated. And uh, oh, then maybe, then maybe I'm thinking of a different movie. Certainly okay. has the critical plaudits. Uh, so Goodfellas is my number two for the 1990s. That gives me a total score this week of a 39 out of 50, which makes Goodfellas the second highest scoring movie that that I that we have covered for me on the on final review. And I will say that it is the brutality of these categories that held it back because I I'm. I'm torn a little bit on if head to head, it would beat my current number one, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, which should score higher. So they're within two points of one another, which is close enough. That's like a margin of error sort of thing. But Scorsese, De Niro and Mob Movie are such brutal, difficult, stacked categories that it was just held a little bit back by the metrics. Can you go through your your list again so we can get all your scores? So uh, my... Uh, my scores across the board here, it's second place for me in Scorsese, third place for me in De Niro performances, top dog in both Pesci and Leota performances. It is the fourth best mob movie for me. It is the third best one shot. It is the second best soundtrack and it is the second best narration along with being the top film of 1990 and the second best film of the 1990s getting us to a 39 okay my turn so for martin scorsese film i have it at number one for robert de niro film i have it at number two for ray Liotta film i have it at number one for joe pesci film i have it at number two for mob movies it's my number three for continuous uninterrupted shots, it's my number four. For needle drop movie soundtracks, I have it at number three. For top five film narrations, I have it at number two. And then the 1990, it's number one. And in the 1990s, it's my number five, which makes sense that my total score comes to a 35, putting it in the 70th percentile. Close to Pulp Fiction, a little bit lower than Raiders, a little bit, I think a little bit higher, if not higher or lower than Pulp Fiction. Um, the point being that this sounds about right, that it's in the top 70th percent of the all-time great movies. If, as I say every week, if you told me that there's only 30 movies better than it, or it's in the top 30 of films all time, then I'd believe you. And that would sound about right to me. Last but not least, Oz, what would your grade out of 10 be for Goodfellas? 10. This is the easiest 10 easiest, I think we've e- given so far. Easy 10. Yeah. Yes. Any like, find a flaw 
there. I found one with how some people will look at these guys and idolize them and want to be them. Find one I, flaw. I, I don't even think that's a flaw because it's not Marty's job to laughing. make movies for stupid people. Uh, you know, uh, Ray, Ray Liotta... Ray Liotta is, I think, like 37 years old in this movie, and he's perhaps not a credible 20-year-old yeah. uh, when they first make the actor shift. But uh, no, even 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 Ray Liotta is good in this movie. There's nothing bad about this movie. I don't even like the when you do a freeze frame shot and leave it up there for effect. I don't even like that But as a general rule. But the narration here always plays through those moments and makes it work. This is as, as close to... Uh, this is a damn near perfect movie. I can't I uh, listen, any flaw I would come up with is like a cinema sin flaw. This is yeah. this is one of my favorite movies ever, and I'm glad it ranked as high as it did as well. Um anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Uh the invention of dreams.com launches tomorrow, hey! October first. So there we go. That'll be fun. So come come read fun stuff. Congratulations, first of all. Thank and you. yes, head over to the inventionofdreams.com to check it out. If you dig this podcast, head over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and a review. Until next time, thank you for listening. We really appreciate all the feedback we've gotten so far and the interaction on twitter.com at final review pod. And as always, be back next time with another final review. This is the end. Hold your breath and count to ten. Feel the earth move and then hear my heart burst again. I've drowned and dreamt this moment